Hey everyone, it's Tom here, Alf Metallica, back again. I know, you know, it's been a long while really, but I'm going to be kickstarting the show back up because this is a song-by-song Metallica podcast, and it was never meant to be the kind of definitive article, and I hoped it wasn't. I hope when I finished it, you know, God, like two odd years, like a long time ago, like a lot has happened at that time, you know, the band hadn't stopped, you know, they were still ceaseless. And we didn't know, but eventually 72 Seasons came into came into our view, came onto the horizon. It's the upcoming 11th studio album by a heavy metal band called Metallica. And I don't remember much. It's been a while. I can't say I've listened to them loads. From what I remember, Ron McGovney was very important. That's the main thing that I remember <laughs> about Metallica is that just some riff that he maybe did that maybe gave. But, you know, as I say, so we are going to be back for this. And just to kind of warm up, like... There were a lot of things in the Alpha Metallica run. There were a lot of obscure things that I did about Metallica. I was like, oh yeah, here's all the IMDB Lars appearances. But it's like, I haven't done some kind of monster. I haven't done SNM 2 until today. So, you know, I just wanted to just get back into the groove of things and have a guest back as well. I just had to double check things. I know we'd done some legendary episodes, but I was like, I remember Carpe Diem, baby. I just, I remember, you know, I was just bloodthirsty for Reload in my youth. Like, but uh, John, how's it going? Hey, man. Nice to be back. Welcome back. We've missed you. (laughs) No, I appreciate it. And what about you and Metallica? Like, has it been a constant experience since you've been on the show? You know, which has been like five years ago, four or five years ago. Like, are you still a big fan or? Um, oh yes, yes. Mm. Um, I, I'm slightly apprehensive about the new album. I must say, I've not been overly um, yeah. excited by the new tracks. Mm. Um, but um, I've, I've got you know the limited yellow vinyl on order and the CD, and I've got tickets to go and see them in Munich next year. So you know, still a fan, still still hanging in there. It's been you know thirty something years now, so I don't think they're gonna leave anytime soon. So, no. Yeah? No, 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 no. I'm extremely grateful. And and yeah, I, I've been following all the releases as well. And you're, you're like me. You're like everyone listening to this show, I'm sure, and millions of us. You've listened to all the Metallica stuff, you know, including Lulu. You know, we've covered Lulu. Uh, mm-hmm. But I genuinely think If Darkness Had a Son might be one of their worst songs. I think it might be one of the worst things they've actually released, with greatest uh, respect. The first 80 well, seconds are pointless of that song. They're really... <laughs> Like that, oh, grinding. I, I don't think it's the, um, uh, was it the worst song? I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I, it's not. It's I think I've heard too um, much Reload. I've listened to it so much. I almost, I'm fond for it now in a way. Like, I'm just like, yeah, oh, the man. glory days of Reload um, and that 5-7 riff. Um, yeah. It's not, um, yeah, I mean, there's some, there is like a, like, a, some, like a fan-made radio edit floating around which sort of chops off quite a lot of the stuff and, and, and it, okay. it does sound more cohesive. My main bugbear with, I think, that song is um, Kirk's, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see, but I'm doing solo because it just, I, I'm not a fan of it. I think yeah. it sounds awful, but you know, we'll see. Maybe it'll grow in time, right? <laughs> we will, we will. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been intriguing building up and it's not going to be long. So we are going to be going through the whole album and we've kind of like a personal murderer's row of like favorite past guests. So it's been like, yo, do you want to just come on and discuss a song you've not heard from? And it's like, yeah, you know, so uh, excited for that. And as I was just telling you before we went on as well, I, I've got an appetite for this kind of alpha kind of way of just, you know, week by week reviewing a song and whatnot. 
So I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, if only Metallica had released this cachet of like, you know, weird stuff that I could actually tackle. And it's like, oh, wait, they, they did, you know, with the blacklist, which I think went under the radar a little bit. Um, and for those not familiar, this is kind of a 51 track cover of the Black Album, which is quite a sort of monumental tribute. Um, it's a little uneven, uh, you know, 12 Nothing Else Matters to one of Wolf of Man. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that astonish. You're not going to just pay some some Texas riff <laughs> garage duo to do a vo- like you know what I mean like Black Keys mm-hmm. like you know but um but yeah there's twelve of those spread across uh, spread across the world so I'm going to be doing that as well John so this is going to oh, be cool. another thing after seventy two seasons so I just want to shout that out as well so get in touch with me metallicapodgemail.com if you're interested in coming on and uh, you know reviewing a song and one of the little twists on it I was thinking we'll do it Enter Sandman Sad but True etc we'll go album through rather than just doing like you know seven Enter Sandmans or whatever and we'll we'll just and one of the things that might tempt you is we'll be covering the band as well um, you know and and there's a hell of a lot of uh, bands in this mix really that are that are pretty astonishing to me like. Um, Mac DeMarco, St. Vincent, uh, Biffy, you know, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish, who um, me and a certain Clint Wells have a fondness for that band, Kamasi, Washington, Idols, etc. So, uh, so yeah, let me know, MetallicaPodderJumma.com, if you want to hop on for that. But today, we're going to be talking about S&M 2. And S&M is such a, such a momentous thing as a Metallica fan. It's such a unique thing, really. That you know, very few fans. I think Deep Purple maybe might be be able to say, "Oh yeah, we had an orchestra one on an album before Richie left to become like mm-hmm. a you know monk or something." But no respect to Blackmore. But um, but yeah, would, would, were you excited when news dropped that uh, you know 20th anniversary was happening? Um, yeah, uh, I think um, <clears throat> it was. Um... I mean, S and M's not one of my go-to Metallica albums, but it's still like a kind of a cool entry in the catalog. Mm. You know, during that '90s period when they were trying different things and going in different directions, it was nice to do that. So I was very excited, uh, and I was, I think, like most fans, thinking, "Oh, you know, this is this is great. They're going to do Fade to Black, which they never did, and they're going to do Unforgiven, and you know, these kinds of oh, things." So yeah. for me, it was a a real um, um, sort of thing of like oh this is an opportunity to do stuff that we they didn't do in the first one you know so that's going to be cool <laughs> yeah. can you well, see where i'm going uh, yeah. <laughs> you know it to me felt like the uh the force awakens it's like a sequel but it's not it's like tropey uh, as fuck and it's like you know mm-hmm. i guess it's different isn't it with a kind of concert series sequel because mm-hmm. the band inevitably are tied to master and one etc but um but you know you're completely right i mean there's so many missed opportunities you know, both in the sense of like, okay, you could have played Fuel, for example, you played Fuel before, or if you're going to play No Leaf Clover, play Minus Human. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't know, there's certain symmetries there that need to be, of Awful Man as well, as you mentioned, it's not on there. But um, I was I was thinking, John, have you ever contemplated this? Have you ever thought about like, you know, what from, say, Anger onwards should have been an S&M 2? That sort of post-S&M, oh, you know? Uh... I was thinking um, some kind of monster actually from Sanger. Yeah, that I mean, unnamed feeling probably. Mm, I had that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be great. And I mean, none of this like not playing the song properly. I'm sorry, they're all within my hands, which we'll get to properly in time. Mm-hmm. Um, very upset with that. Very upset. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll disagree there then. I think. I hate that version, but uh, I would say as well, Death Magnetic. I was genuinely thinking like this morning. I was like trying to imagine each song with an orchestra. I don't think it'd work. I actually don't no. think, other than Day of Unforgiven Free, which obviously they do, the sort of ballads of the album. 
Yeah. My apocalypse. Judas Kiss would be a mess, you know, honestly. Yeah. I think maybe be... Suicide and Redemption might have worked, but then you've already got Cthulhu in here anyway, so... Sure, sure, sure. And if you're going to do another instrumental, then it, it would have been Orion. Oh, my... Well, yeah, I mean, again, you know, I guess they did it in the movie at the end, so they're kind of uh, excuse. Yeah. But I'm a Lulu apologist, just to, just to wrap no, this no. up. No, no, there's no apology for liking music. <laughs> no, there isn't. No, 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 there definitely isn't. There's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. I, I like agree. it too. I'm, I'm a big, big fan. And Junior Dad, if they did this on SNM2, all 19 minutes and 28 seconds of it, please do that. Like, that is something that would be a triumph. Well, I mean, they, they, they basically spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes just doing an orchestra thing. So they could have. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. And then, you know, just to tie it off, Hardwired, which again... Haven't really warmed to, you know, it's been out a long time now, but uh, Dream No More, I can see Here Comes Revenge, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. You know, hypothetically sound okay. That would have been, that would have been, uh, that would have been a good sort of, you know, in the thing that should not be slot. Yes. Because they're basically, I mean, thematically, they're, they're the same universe, but that would have been a, tempo wise, that would have been a great choice. So, so let's get into SNM2, and we're not really going to do much pre history. This is more about the performances and the kind of, you know, what, what you can buy. Um, this was released, obviously, in cinemas first, and I actually saw mm-hmm. that. Me too. Uh, Oxford's Odeon. Where did you see it? I saw it in the Cineplex Reutlingen here in uh, Baden-Württemberg in Germany. So oh. me and about seven other people, I think. <laughs> was anyone <laughs> wearing wife. a jacket? Or like, was anyone like no, it was up? all very restrained. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody, there was no circle pits. Uh, you know, there was no wall <laughs> of death. It was all very, very, um, very polite. But it was cool. No, it was cool. It was cool. And it is great when bands or things of that statue, you know, sometimes the opera or like an art thing or whatever. So we have SNM2. And we open with a good montage, John. Mm-hmm. Thunder, you know, kind of that, that shutterstock photography, the long road, mm-hmm. the golden gate, <laughs> a Metallica shirt, Chinatown, yeah. you know, the way it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like every cliche thing of the memorial park that you see in the rock. It's like, yeah, we get, we're in San Fran, like, you know. Yeah. It would have been cooler if they I guess maybe it's not there, but if they dug deeper into like murder on the front row type era, rather than just a brochure that fucking Gloria Honeyford would present, like <laughs> there's a reference. You know what there's I mean? There's a reference. No one outside the UK ever seen it. Okay. Most of the audience of this podcast are in America, actually. So sorry, I should say Regis. They have like there you crazy. go, Regis. Yeah. yeah, it's about the Chase Center, isn't it? There's this odd yeah. commercialism about this one yeah. that isn't present in the first one. Yeah, there, there's there's a real definite. Um, there's a real definite sense that it ties in with that whole thing of like uh, San Francisco being integral to the show. There's a bit, you know, where James mm. says, you know, we'd like to thank San Francisco for, or maybe Lars, one of them, uh, for making the Metallica fans so welcome. And I, I think they had events as well on oh, yeah. um, the Saturday and things. So uh, it, it ties in with that whole idea of like, you know, San Francisco is key to, to Metallica. Um, so I guess maybe that's where they were going with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, I like it. It's directed by Wayne Isham, who's obviously, you know, one of Metallica's main guys there. And you see, like, you know, the fog and the runner past Pier 39 and the Fillmore and the modernity and, you know, no real Google yep. silicate, you know what I mean? But still. Nah, um, the rousing chapters of fans, the screaming of mostly men. There are women there, <laughs> but mostly men of cruising colours united under one banner, that being... Metallica, that being SNM2. And I have to say, up top, the the um, the poster, the shattered instrument with SNM2 is absolute genius. It's like one yeah. of my favorite designs. I think they, I, I can't applaud it more. 
Yeah, yeah, great. Especially when you consider how sort of boring the first one is, you know. Yes, but it has uh, that kind of weird, obscure, heroic angle to it, the first one. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. But I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And, um, you know, so we're in the venue, and of course we open with Ecstasy, and Edwin Outwater ascends to his throne, the, the conductor, who, who does a fine job. I'm distracted slightly by his backed strap of jewels. I don't know about you. Well, you've obviously uh, not been a Kiss fan for most of your life, so oh. you know a- any sort of bling on on black outfits in a gig is is fine with me. No, it's you know it's impressive, and the orchestra pit is as studded as his shoulder blade region. And <laughs> we um, we go into Ecstasy of Gold, which is a gorgeous piece that we've actually it seems covered. slow. Does it? Yes, yeah, but to me it feels feels slower. Okay. So, but I mean, you know, it's it's great, and the audience reaction. Every time that music hits, if I listen to it, or you know, when I've yeah. been there at gigs, and th- you know, just goosebumps moments. You know, the, the roar of the crowd, it's just amazing. Huge, huge, and it's great that like this was a song that was famous for a film. The Metallica are almost kind of subsumed into their own culture. Like I'm not saying it's, yeah. they still run with that imagery though, you know. But yeah. um, completely agree. the rest in peace michael Cam- carmen flag shown that's a nice little tribute isn't it it's not too over the top but it's very like gracefully done i really appreciate that yeah yeah and, big, big big influence in this uh, in this show yeah yeah and you know the rousing music continues the band kind of uh you know ascend to the stage it reminds me a little bit of cunning stunts kind of lights up kind of thing mm. which thinking back actually i was just watching this so i was thinking oh god i love that intro of them running in with the lights on and just embracing yeah. all the fun that is such a cool uh, so, so yeah, up they come, straight into Cthulhu, which is cool, which is safe, which is exactly what they did the first time. Yes. They could have yes. gone into To Live Is To Die, which would have been cool. You know, another mm. slow-paced, meditative slobber knocker. Like, I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think it was, uh, yeah, as you say, safe is the word there. I think also maybe there's a lot there to do with just sort of settling the nerves, you know? It's yeah. like James doesn't have to sing. Um, the orchestration is already there, so there's you know mm. there's no new things to have to deal with up top of the show. They can just go in and do sort of you know twelve minutes of we know what's going on here. Um, so it, it, I, personally, I would have preferred, and, and this will be a recurring theme, a different song. I think if they'd have gone instrument to, to live us to die would have been fantastic. There, um, Orion would have been mm. great. You know something new but i mean you know it is supposed to be well i don't know i don't know whether you picked up on i don't know whether it was supposed to be a celebration of snm or just sure yeah you know, like because they did they've been doing anniversary things over the over the years haven't they you know 20 25 years they master puppets whatever so maybe maybe that was the reasoning behind it i don't know but yeah it's good it's okay rob's bass tone is is not great for oh. me but You know what's so funny? I was I was I was just saying to you before we went on air. 
all these things, all this stuff I was saying to you. But yeah, I just moved into a new house, my first house, mm-hmm. and I bought a bass. Like I played guitar for years, but I've never had a bass, and I bought a bass amp, you know, just a cheap bass, Ibanez bass, and playing it so much. And now I'm just listening out for bass loads. And obviously, Rob, mm-hmm. Rob is an incredible player, but you're completely right. Rob's bass tone for most of this recording is completely buried. And yeah. you can't really hear it. And, you know, stuff like Tulu and Bells that follows, you can, yeah. you know, kind of get that. But yeah, yeah, it's, you know, obviously it's a great song. It's like one of these, it just taps into that classic kind of building catch and release and then that main riff. And especially the way the horns just sort of pounce forward on it. It's just, you know, it's probably one of the best examples of like the orchestra really improving it and making it something new and kind of, yeah. you know, just confidently like it just, you know, it's, it, you know, you've all heard this song. If you've heard it on the first one, you've kind of heard it here. But, you know, also, like, any any time, by the way, in this concert, that the band interact with the orchestra is great. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Well, I, I've been a while since I watched the Blu-ray, so I just, I, I've just been doing the album. So, yeah, I, um, I, I forget sometimes the, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of this, uh, concert the visuals really i think um improve the experience because you can see the interplay the dynamics and the whole stage and the setup and everything we're so um the merits of the visual with the audio versus just the audio i think is definitely uh, definitely a point to consider yeah it's really well captured and you know especially the way it treats fans and the way it treats the orchestra and the way you watch the orchestra move in unison like clockwork and certain parts strike out and you know it's kind of it's kind of mesmeric really uh and and yeah it's a cataclysmic dramatic sort of song you know Lars tongue out soaking it all in (laughs) laughing uh at, at at the end into bells which again it's like okay yeah we heard this later in the other one but it's like still this is yeah. almost like an snm one like classic from the album which is like yeah. again I guess, I guess, like you're saying for maybe because it's simple, maybe it just allows them to. Yeah, I mean, it's also you know, it's a good, it's a good crowd, it, it's a good crowd hype song. You know, you've got it the is. intro with the kick drum, and you know the, it's nice mid-paced. You know, it's it's a chug. So There's I'm, some I'm, crab you know, walking happening. Like, uh, yeah, always, always the crab walk. Insane energy. Uh, James fist bumps one of the guys <laughs> mid-song. Yeah, That's well, a true you know. Hollywood handshake, right there. Yeah, you know. That's what you can do when you're James Hatfield. <laughs> but yeah, everyone's just in their own personal bliss. Like everyone's just, you know, it is it is insane. Like, you know, huge voice, yeah. uh, you know, and still one of the best openings to a second verse ever. Take a look to the sky just before you die. Oh, so last yeah. time you will. Like, yeah, that is, that is true poetry. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, my problem maybe is because Cthulhu ends the same way as Bells ends. They both end with this kind of cracking open of the song, you know, and like slow kind of chord chug. Um, and, you know, it works well with the orchestra and quite like the way how Edwin turns his page kind of <laughs> in time to the music. I don't know if you caught that, but he dramatically sort of, as it ends, he just turns to the next page mm-hmm. with a real flick. But we go into the first quote unquote new song for the band yep. for the orchestra.
what did you make of David Never Comes? Uh, so yeah, it, I mean, obviously, as we said earlier, that one of the best songs off um, Death Magnetic mm. for an orchestra because you know that melodic intro, the the um, the option, the opportunity for the orchestra to sort of um, fit into that works really well. So the fact that the orchestra did the intro in its entirety is great. I think yeah. that sounded so epic. Mm. You know, it sounded like something you'd hear in a movie. Uh, you know, so it was like this sort of real wide open vista. You know, you can imagine this this intro track, you know, opening up as a camera pans up over a desert or some shit. I don't know. But, you know, it was uh, it was really, really good. Uh, it, it's um, they struggle a bit, as with most Metallica songs, when it gets heavier or where it gets faster. You know, sure. so then I think what Edwin and, and um, Tills and Thomas did as well is certainly look at what Michael Kamen did, which is rather than just try and mimic the chugging and the riffing, how can we accentuate, how can we dart in and out yes. um, to add some textures? So that works really well here. Um, it's first signs of James struggling vocally, um, which is a big thing for me throughout this whole album. Um, so that's not a great thing, but you know mm. it's great it's a good song i'm glad they i'm glad they included it me too me too i think the intro i have to concur yeah uh them playing the whole thing themselves and, and the way it's shot as well the sort of illuminated stage the pale dot and stuff like that and uh yeah i mean i love this song it's really one of the best of the modern era of the band and mm -hmm. the way it resolves into hetfield just picking out on his flying v like you know uh i i I don't know. I don't know. There's some little mischief in the chorus as well. You can hear from the orchestra, like little tinkles and stuff like, like mm -hmm. if you listen, there's a lot there. Like one of the yeah. things that I want, which please release on some sort of like S and M anniversary box set, which I'm sure you're going to do Metallica. Let's just hear the orchestra version, please. Let's just hear what they actually sounded like about the band. Like, yeah, well, I don't I mean, care they, if it sounds different. I don't. That's not why I'm interested. You know no, you're do. right. I mean, they did that on the first one. The first uh, oh, uh, on SNM on the DVD, you could have an orchestra only track, uh, audio okay. track, uh, or you could have a band only audio track as well. So I think I've got that somewhere on a hard drive, that works. That collecting works. dust somewhere. Gonna, but yeah, gonna, that would yeah. be great. That would be great. That would be great. And yeah, the, the you know the, the middle march and the song as well. The love is a four letter word. Yeah. Uh, probably one of my favorite S and M two innovations is here. Just the string hits. The da -na 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 -na. like the way the the way they interact. I you know I re I really think is magnificent. And Hetfield, he's purging some stuff out there, right? Like he was going through it backstage. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I, it's difficult. This is obviously a big thing with this album and as a, as and this period as a whole is that obviously this was this came out and then I don't know, like two three days later, he went into rehab again. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of I think perhaps. Um, uh, the, it's easy for fans to kind of look back and kind of go, oh, is that that's a sign or and, and, and sort of maybe retroactively attach like a mythology there. I definitely think there are times when you can see he's, you know, letting some stuff out. Um, so, you know, is it is it um, is there a catharsis all the way through this? Mm. I mean, it just so happens there's lots of the songs here. You know, Unforgiven, Unforgiven Three, All Within My Hands, um, Day, you know, you've got Halo, um, Outlaw Torn. Sure. You know, is there a bit more um, emotional heft to those? I mean, one, could, one could read. One, one could certainly yeah. read that into it. And yeah. yeah, this is, again, really happy to see this song performed. Huge kind of cheerleader for this track. Uh, you know, I think it's a great, great song. And James then just welcomes everyone back at the end to witness history, takes a moment to introduce San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, 
who I wonder what the turnover was, right? Were, were there guys there from 20 years ago? I don't know. So I'm pretty sure, but I'm sure that somebody out there will correct. I'm sure Metal like your podcast have interviewed like the whole fucking like, you know. Well, they've had Scott Pingle on. I think they had Edwin. Oh, yeah, they have had well. Scott. I need to listen to that. Yeah. You know, um, I am. I fairly well. As I think that the do you remember in the making of S and M one documentary there was a scene where James was talking about the harp player because he had tattoos. I think right. that harp player is still there. Mm. Um, Hetz, and Hetz, that was Hetz's request. He would only do it yeah. if that guy was there. I, I need the guy with the tats. Yeah. Um. Um. So I'm. I'm I don't know. I think there might no. have been a couple in there, but I think that I think. Uh, I mean, he was twenty years. It's, you know, it's yeah. a workplace. It's it's natural for churn, but um. But yeah, and then into memory, which again, it's like sure, cool. You know, it's a classic that really mm-hmm. was almost immortalized through the S and M crowd, through that performance. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's pretty much note for note for the original. And one of the things that we haven't spoken about yet that is definitely, you know, a big feature of the of Wayne Isham's production, the split screen. So often, you know, Kirk uh, yeah. will be shown next to a Karen headbanging. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm not a fan of it. I think no, it's that, weird. When, it's when like you, the Brady Bunch. It's like what? Are you yeah. Doing? Like, well, also it divides your attention as well because you're like, well, which screen do I need to look at? You know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Wayne Isham. I mean, he did uh, the um, the San Diego. Uh, video yep. in the live ship box set as well uh, and he's a fan of you know quick cuts and i always think that in music for me personally i, I like things to stay a bit more sedate you know because you want to see the riffs and you want to see the the singing and the drums and, and whatever you know i think quick cuts and split screen uh, um, whilst it might visually match the music or the tempo for like for me as a viewer i'm like oh, this is kind of cluttered and confusing so i agree not a fan of split screen no no not at all i don't think it's necessary i think you know it's a good performance kirk solo again it just it just fills that gap like butter in a plaster cast you know it's just like but you know the way he weaves in there is is pretty extraordinary and james says mr hammett but he says it kind of off mic slightly yeah sort of like coxes of it so he doesn't quite catch yeah. it like it's so sort of cool. like yeah uh so cool and, you know, Tilson, he seems to be conducting the crowd, you know, as much as the musicians at this point, because obviously everyone's singing along to the chorus. The whole place is kind of getting tipped upside down here. And that kind of bed at the end, those wistful uh, tinkles, twinkles, you know, that the yeah. pit rouses as the O's, you know, they they consider lo- they continue longer than a Jeremy Corbyn chant, John, like those, oh, wow. like it's mad. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, that definitely works better on the blu-ray visually than it does in audio because in yes. audio like yeah okay i get it <laughs> yeah amazing it you could have just faded it Slightly. out little, but i mean you know it it's that's become like some sort of modern day as you say like a modern day sing-along i don't know where mm-hmm. that that started but i i love the um this is the one where lars is encouraging them right or yeah. somebody somebody encouraged them to keep going and then somebody else is telling them to stop <laughs> so uh you know it's great yeah it's nice it's, it's you can't nice tell the met club what to do they're gonna no. owe wherever they want like. no exactly but it's a cool little moment for the fans you know so you just said listening to this you were slightly confused and next they play a song it's a new song called confusion Mm. So this is a song that people had. That was a terrible segue. People, I know, I would, to... I teed it up for you, and you <laughs> knocked it out of the park. It was, it was. Mwah. So you know, confusion. It's not, mm. it's not a terrible track. You know, it's mm. got that kind of uh, death magnetic pulse, the DNA to it, the kind of twisty intro. You know, um, 
James, who just had the most earned sing-along of all time, encourages the crowd to get hey-haying, which they mm-hmm. kind of do. You know, it's a slightly bland tune, mm-hmm. but I suppose they just kind of were like, look, we've got to do something on Hardwired, you know. But I, I think Atlas Rise maybe would have actually been a bit more successful here. Like I'm 50-50 with confusion. I don't listen to Hardwired a huge amount, but it's there are five or six tracks in a, a playlist that I've got, and that's one of them. When it comes on, I'm like, mm. oh, this is quite cool. Yeah, there's a nice little chug there. You know, it's a bit am I evil at the beginning, but that's fine. And um, so it, it, overall, the sound, the song here, like it's in a, it's inoffensive. The intro's great. It yeah. sounds even more foreboding with the orchestra, and I like the way that they double the vocal melody so that they're not trying to to again follow with the riff. They're they're following James's vocals so that the, the strings and things are uh, aping his his vocal melody. Um, there, it seemed to me there were stretches of the song where you couldn't hear the orchestra at all. So I don't know whether they were resting or whether they were just poorly mixed. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely caught that as well. And yeah, it just has that. You mentioned that, Amway, it reminds me a lot of kind of Load Reload where it's yeah. because the riff's a little funky. Yes. It's kind of like they can almost get away with it being slightly kind of, you know, ploddy. It's kind yeah. of a ploy. I'm, I'm still not sort of sold on it. I mean, I would have, I would have, I mean, we've got how many? We've got uh, three, three hardwired songs on here. And I think the other two are definitely better choices. Again, it would have been nice here maybe to put something else in, maybe something from... I don't know, Master of Puppets, Leper Messiah, maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's one of yeah. this. This would definitely be Go a track back. that I could be like, oh, if it this didn't, if this was switched out for something else new, I'd be fine with that. Maybe it was like, well, we've already got it. We've already been playing it on the Hardwired tour. Yeah. Let's just do this one. Yeah. Right? You know, it's just like Popper Het ain't learning some Ride the Lightning riff if you don't have. <laughs> so, so yeah, the song sort of trundles along. It's kind of slightly cubist, and I don't know, Kirk's solo is kind of unnecessary really but you know the band is still cool and it's still a little you know yeah. i don't know pe- people do like this song so <laughs> into moth yeah which which i'm a, I'm a big fan of actually mm-hmm. and i think it's probably the great legacy of hardwired a kind of undeniably great tune and you know what what i like best is that opening riff that chug that goes into the like the way it just chomps there and the orchestra are great yeah and and playful here and uh you know, it feels like kind of away from the legacy of S&M 1. Tilson could sort of get his feet under the table a bit more. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot going on. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of discordant answers. I, I, I like the whole enterprise of this song. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to sound as good as it does. You mm. know, um, back in the, you know, whenever this came out, 2000 and whenever it was. Um, 19. Uh, that's the one. And, yeah. um you know, scouring YouTube for fan filmed videos and things. And this was one when I saw the tracklist, I was like, oh, that's quite a fast, you know, yeah. a, a, mm-hmm. a insistent riff. I'm not sure how they're going to, but I mean, it sounds great. You know, the orchestra sounds great. They sound great during the, the, the verse riff, you know, you can definitely hear the, the bass and the, I guess the cello, like the lower end strings, like doing yes. the chug and the, the, you know, again, lots of these songs, the newer ones and the existing ones, it's about adding textures in rather than trying to, to, to follow. But yeah, it's, um, it sounds great. You know, James, is burn before the middle eight when he goes up to a yes yeah nice... it's very high pitch right mm-hmm. like <laughs> I, to me that felt like he was at, it, it, 
it, I got a little interpretive sense that he was maybe a little bit pissed off with his uh, his vocals or the, the the ability that his voice was was giving mm. that thing, and he just sort of um, in a sort of a pissed off way went as high as he could to try and maybe stretch things out. But it sounds cool, you know. It's the exact yeah, concept. yeah. It's I mean, he's it's normally like a, a bark, right? Yes, and yeah. and here it's it's yeah, it's more it's of a yelp. More, yeah, it's more poor sign, yeah. you know. Um, but he can't help but rock out of his middle section yeah. here. And, you know, Kirk's solo as well is just, you know, fucking dripping with adrenaline. And it's a great yeah. shot as well of Kirk up front and James in the back, mm-hmm. like, you know, astride the stage like some fucking colossi or something. And, and the song rides out and... One of the things that we haven't mentioned as well in the concert, you know, above the tune as it plays out, we have the adverts of Vice, you know, we have these two kind of circular light fixtures yeah. that are showing gambling dens and, you know, they sort of change each song to song. Metallica obviously have been doing this for a long time. A lot of bands do this. Uh, how do you feel it compliments them throughout the show? Uh, the screens? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, it, it sometimes it feels like there's a bit of a disconnect. Um, like, like for this song, you know, it's all about like the vice and the strip clubs and things. But I always thought Moth into Flame was more about like um, the search for fame. I mean, doesn't he say that sure. at one point in the lyrics as well? I think it wasn't it based on Amy Winehouse. I don't remember her playing much Baccarat. Like, yeah, you know, well, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess it's. I mean, but I guess it's. You know, that's the thing with um, a certain percentage of Hetfield's lyrics is that there there can be multiple layers to it. But yeah, I think they they've certainly moved more into that in the past um, in the past ten years. You know, there's a lot more video packages as part of the show i mean i guess to give the band a break as well you know you might have a three minute intro to bells or sanitarium or one or whatever so you know i mean if the text yeah. there and it and it doesn't look cheesy as fuck then why not you know no true no true I'm, i don't i don't begrudge them that i remember seeing on the hardware tour in 2017 it was october 30th 2017 so a long long time ago now but I remember on the Hardwired tour in Birmingham, they would have cubes that would show them, you know, the faces yeah. from the Hardwired album cover and just, you know, it would, it would give that sort of thing. Yeah. And they would, they would be very... And I think they then did drum solos on said cubes, which is... They did during... Um, yeah. Oh... Oh, a million yeah, Metallica was, fans screaming at me now. Um, it was uh, it was a different time. It was a different time, but it was cool, though. I'm, I'm glad that they did that. And I appreciate this. Now, this next song, John, this next song means a lot to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, not myself. How do you feel about Outlaw Torn and the s 2 performance of it? Um, so I love the album version. Um, in fact, the version that the only one that I listen to is the unencumbered by manufacturing restrictions version, yes. which essentially is the full 10 minute 18 uh, version. So I've replaced that mm. on my phone in load. So the album version is the full one. Love nice. it. Um, I thought the first one in SM uh, was amazing, really eerie, creepy. This one is cool, but it's not a patch on the 99 version. It, it, it just it's one of those moments where you, we knew it was coming because they'd been playing it at the gigs in the run-up to this show. Yep. Um, so everyone, Rarely played prior. Yeah, exactly. People obviously was like, oh, they're, they're doing it. I know that people attach this whole thing, you know, with James and how he's feeling it. And I get that. And there is an element of that. But I just think that 
it's like night and day. This is good. I mean, Lars overplays the snare. That's his thing mm. now is that he's a huge, you know, darkness, darkness out of sun. It's all snare and it's up in the mix. And it's just, it doesn't. Please have... never mention that song on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I, I, um, gonna... Spoiler. It's now known as that song whenever that song. I cover it. Spoiler alert for when you get to that episode. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's great. Like, look, it's a great song. Uh, the performance is 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 is, a, is good. The orchestra is obviously playing Michael Kamen's score. Um, I just think it's just you can't it you can't beat the the ninety nine version. The more I search, the more I need for you. The more I blast, the more I I mean, yeah, I think I think my problem is with the song more than the performance. Um, it, it embodies a lot of reloads, you know, and just that era's worst excesses to me. Yeah. Um, the bass is a lot of the heavy lifting. Mm. You know, the orchestra get time to embellish because it's, you know, the song sort of treads water to a certain point. It is, we, you know, the 5-7, uh, as, as we've spoken about, you know. It, I mean, just, it really doesn't do much. James seems to look the camera directly in the eye. I don't know if you caught that. So you just stare it yeah. down and chugs. I quite like that, actually. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was trying to, about four minutes in, I was trying to remember, why do I actually hate this song? Because I was like, this is fine. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't that bad. You know, and I was watching Het do his, like, uh, volume swell blues, you know, and I was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, anytime Het plays lead, I'm like, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but then it gets to Kirk, you know, and then it gets to the song appears to be ending. Yeah. But then it just churns forward with this horribly stock riff mm-hmm. you know that then goes up an octave and i think just so much time and energy it really makes me laugh that they released an extended cut of this song because it's so repetitive mm-hmm. and so slow and so unengaging compared to like I, I don't know it's like a backyard barbecue jam with a few amps <laughs> like it's i don't know i really yeah i'm you, sorry just put your flag it. in the ground firmly. don't don't appreciate the tune yeah. i just i just I, like I know 19 minute songs I wouldn't change a second of but this is like yeah, yeah. Um, well they'll, they'll, they'll be coming for you Tom they do I mean the look, trues will be coming for you look don't get torn over it you know <laughs> but uh, I am an outlaw of metal I'm, you know I'm, I'm not on the Met Club payroll that, like Clint and Ethan like you know but um, no love those guys so No Leaf Clover yep big shame that Minus Human left out as I mentioned prior did you agree yep it, are those two songs, if if they were if if the choice was, you know, we're going to do some stuff from S and M one, what would you want to hear out of those two? I'd have gone with Minus Human because it's only been played like four times. Wow. Um, whereas Clover's, you know, got got played pretty well, pretty often, I think, post ninety nine live. So um, <clears throat> a good again, I like the song. I think it's great, but like with Outlaw, the the OG, the ninety nine version is the best one. Even though the original SM, there was some vocal overdubs in the studio, so that's one of the benefits of mm. that band only um, track on the DVDs that you can actually hear where they cut in. It's those high pitch notes that James hits. He right. redid those in the studio because you can tell because the crowd noise disappears from the bleed in the mic and it's just a clean vocal and then mm. the crowd comes back in. Even with those overdubs, um, and this obviously this version is more is actually well, seems to be live and more raw than the original one. It's just it feels superfluous to me. Again, another thing where you could have like, well, you could have just 
threw something else in there. Put something different in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I did, I, for what it's worth, I did really like this performance, actually, and I do love this song. And I think this song just is a symphony song, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, um, you know, to play it truly. And it's a glorious tune, you know. Just the, the opening fanfare with the arpeggios, just, I don't know, it just feels so... Oh, yeah, it is. So, yeah. You know, it just, just has such a wide kind of magical stride to it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then back into that stunner of the riff. And, you know, there's just lots of James singing on the track and, you know, good day to be alive. And even just Kirk's slightly drunken, warbling leads, you know, behind the when it comes to B section. And, like, you know, yeah. uh, we do see some soccer moms in the crowd rocking out, good. which is cool. You know. And just everyone's there. Like, you know, I love it. I really like that they include the crowd here, actually. That's yep. such a metallic thing to do. Then it comes to be with the soothing lights at the end of your tunnel. It's just a freight train going away. Yeah, comes to be with the soothing lights at the end of your tunnel. Greenie was also played on this tune. Was that, was that a big deal for you? I, I mean... <laughs> I mean, the thing is, uh, and the thing is, is that you know, Metallica—they they've got all these different guitars, and everyone's like, "Oh, Greeny and the tones and the notes." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's running through either a Fractal or a Kemper uh, mod profile machine." So, I mean, ultimately, it's going to sound like Kirk's lead. Like, if you play I mean, me a yeah. solo on Greeny and a solo on like the you know the ESP Mummy guitar, I'd probably say they sound the same to me. Maybe that's I'm not a, a good musician. I don't know. But. No, 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 no. That's an interesting point. And, you know, Peter Green is an extraordinary, you know, guitar player, mm-hmm. really. Like one of my, not one of my favorites, I would say, but one that I definitely have a lot of time for. Yeah. And uh, I actually have a minor little Peter Green digression because oh. this was like COVID, maybe like 18 months ago or whatever, when you could just start going places or whatnot. Yeah. And anyway, I went into a local Oxfam bookshop and I went in there and there was this absolutely incredible guitar playing happening like on a CD player in the corner, like real old school blues playing. This guy was absolutely tearing up. And I went in there and I was like banging my head when I went in there. I was like, this is really good. And the guy basically has to shout to me. It's the only guy in there. The guy has to shout to me and he just says, can you put on a mask like that? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. And I put, a, yeah, put on a mask, whatever. And I go over to buy a book to him and he went, oh no, no, no. I said, this is Fleetwood Mac. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, this is Peter. He's like, this is Peter Green. I was like, yeah, this is good. He was like, do you want to buy it? I actually said no, but um, I, uh, I did, uh, I needed to Shazam what that was. But yes, he does play Peter Green, legendary British blues guitar player, uh, you know, from Fleetwood Mac and otherwise. And the nature of the game, I think one of his solo records is called, I'm not actually looking at Spotify at the moment, but he, you know, he, he was a wonderful guy who supposedly um, just took too much acid, right? And got like taken into a cult. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, it was absolutely insane what happened. But um, yeah, Kirk's playing his guitar here on No Leaf Clover, and you know, just superbly done. Into Halo, you know, new tune time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the crowd, we see some air drums being done. You know, and the orchestral accompaniment I felt was quite ambitious. You know, rather than just like the standard stuff here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's. Um we were talking earlier about different songs that might have been from different albums absolutely this one uh, should have been in there and i'm glad it was the orchestra weaving in and out and, and accentuating key musical motifs again not trying to um ape the band or strengthen the riff um but actually let's put some light and shade a bit of color and dynamics and let's add a different sort of vibe to it just i love this song love this version of this song yeah yeah no uh I, I enjoy it again. I'm not a huge fan of this song, and I, I remember discussing it originally on the show that I just wasn't necessarily as moved by it as a lot of people were. I remember yeah. initially when the album came out, it was one of the real, 
you know, it's just kind of one of the ones that everyone was talking about. Um, likes a bit of the bone as well. And, um, you know, I mean, Metallica, uh, you know, kind of masters early on at the ending guitar solo. You yeah. Know, like a fade to black or like creeping death. And this kind of has that and it doesn't quite say anything to me personally. And also, I am dubious of any Kirk solo now mm-hmm. because I'm like, are you playing this Kirk? Or is this you remembering what Lars poked on an iPad? Like, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's like one of them. So, yeah, a uh, little disingenuous there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, the orchestra, you know, provides some company on the harmonies themselves. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds a bit of a contradiction for me to say that the giant orchestra sound low key, but they kind of do a lot of the time. Like, yeah. they just, it's not as. You know, I know it's a difficult equation. You yeah. know, it's difficult, you know, whatever. And I just feel that, you know, it's a challenge, of course. And you are right, they are quiet for times, or they are kind of just lingering. And I'm sure I've had, you know, Dolby Atmos, whatever. I'd be like, oh, there's an oboe here. But, yeah. like, for the most part, it's like, this is just Metallica. Yeah. You know, um, post-hardwired. And the last time we heard them do this, they were post-reload. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, this is just a different engine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, you know, the song kind of concludes and we get Lars, the charismatic figure that is Lars. Um, he's speaking to the crowd, extending a welcome to the Met Club members for coming. Yep. Tells them they can applaud themselves. Obviously, people should be aware that um, there was one like original night they did the night before and then they did like a Met Club show because I think it sold out immediately or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's opening, opening of it. And I do love, um, you know, I love any any person really that that, you know, is knowledgeable about about the world and curious, <laughs> and I love I love Lars uh, spotting all the flags. Yeah, and, and he was good out. at geography that. back in the day, you know. He got pretty good grades. Yeah, yeah he says, yeah. and it's understandable. Is that Panama? And then he's like, Oh no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's Great Britain or whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever he was looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a Confederate flag, Lars. Oh yeah, I know. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, Lars then introduces uh, the director for the San Francisco Symphony you know, a dear friend of his. Mm-hmm. And um, how does it work in symphonies, by the way? Are they just like their like team <laughs> that the stadium has? And it's like, oh, we'll do like Mozart. And I don't... I mean, I don't know. I guess, well, they have a musical director and they, I guess they mm. did, did decide the program um, for the yes. for the year. And then they, they go off and learn it, I guess. And here they are. Mm. I'm interested to know what your go- uh, your take on this section, these next two songs. I, uh, I actually quite enjoy it, I must say. Okay, okay. Yeah, I do, I do. I mean, you know, I'm coming from a kind of uh, 
Lulufilia kind of mm-hmm. kind of place there. But um, but yeah, no, I think this is a fun piece. So yeah, basically the orchestra get a chance to show off their own chops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is teased as sort of a, a piece where classical music and heavy metal you know fuses and combines. Uh, this is the Scythian Suite. Yes, and you know talks about masses of horses and metallica and heavy and tattoos and stuff and you know for me it's a fun piece and he's a tremendous conductor you know it's full of kind of magnetism and energy and the piece itself has a kind of grand march to it yeah it sounds like um you know maybe this might not be a reference for yourself or our listeners but like you know i'm a big fan of fancy head and it's like whenever like a lord comes into the throne room this kind of regal Mm. boisterous composition is is kind of similar to this Mm -hmm. you know and it's a nice indulgence to the classical crowd Mm -hmm. and i do like the idea of like reload chads getting confused (laughs) in the audience (laughs) (laughs) clutching their cores light to their chest and like to cry in this obama shit Um, Um, it's funny funny uh, to me it sounds like something that they would score like the empire in star wars yeah yeah no massively, massively. you know yeah it's interesting i mean i get why they were trying to do it i mean it's this i have a sneaking suspicion that this was lars pushing for this because he was um there was an article fairly recent or a regurgitated article fairly recently mm-hmm. about lulu and about this idea of like pushing the quote-unquote metal heads into a direction and you know as somebody who grew up in the bohemian copenhagen and blah 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 so i mean i get it i i think for me the problem with these two songs uh well these two suites these pieces of music is that it takes away from hearing metallica do songs that's the thing that i have with it. i mean it's great like i i do wonder and this would be interesting uh, you know to encourage some listener feedback if anybody was there at the gigs like like what what was the vibe of the quick because you can't trust the the official release because whether they piped in audience noise or whatever i don't know but i wonder what the vibe was like when the city and suite started and people like what and then you've got iron foundry right after it where okay the band are there but i i do wonder what the yeah. what the vibe so, well, at, least, at least james is chugging something to this uh, so i mean I like look i'm not i'm not a sort of a um a classical music snob no. it's not my preferred genre but you know i no. there are certain composers i do enjoy i like like bizet i'm a fan of the, that sort of thing but For me, it was like, you know, it's, I mean, it's the, the intro to the Scythian Suite was five minutes on its own. And I'm like, that's a song. That's a, that's yeah. sad but true. Or, you know, that's, I don't know, Through the Never oh, yeah. or The God That Failed or My Friend of Misery. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Misery I, with an orchestra? I am, I, now that you mentioned it, yeah, the solo section in particular, I think the orchestra could take one oh. of those leads, actually. Yeah, that could be So, fun. you know, you've got five and mm. then there's eight and nine. It's, it's about 15 minutes long, this whole thing. And, and I get it's about, you know, giving the orchestra their moment in the sun and, and maybe trying to challenge some boundaries for some of the, as you say, the cause mm. light brigade. But it is an opportunity where I think, God, you could have just, and especially when they, the next bunch of songs, which we'll talk about, you know, are so like, oh my God, these are amazing. Like, this is a great Mm. opportunity that you're taking here. But it's okay. I mean, you know, I just... It's, yeah. 
Yeah, I just it, for me, I find it a bit more engaging than confusion, for example, or yes. something like that. You know? Yes. And again, I'm not a huge like, like you know, I like I like Edgar Varese, but that's only because like, I know that Zappa was a fan of him, and that was similar music, like mm-hmm. concrete music, like you yeah. know, kind of found sound kind of thing. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, it's a shifting kind of you know Byzantium like you know labyrinthian piece yeah. that kind of has elements of like Fantasia. If I'm being yeah. reductive, it kind of you know it feels that way, fun and kind of virtuosic and you don't you know always with this sort of music you don't quite know where you're listening and where you should be and you know but hey they well, get a standing at, at times especially during iron foundry it seemed like the band didn't know where they were supposed to be either no no and in no, fact no. i'm pretty sure uh, don't quote me on this i'm sure people are writing but i'm pretty sure there was some post-production done because i remember watching a video of iron foundry and i think it must have been from night one and it was an absolute train wreck i don't i, I mean, think they were out of time with each other I could be the wrong. only. I mean, the only reason James did this is because his bloody grandfather probably worked at an iron foundry, like so. <laughs> well, it's but, iron yeah, metal, dude. <laughs> I mean, so they get an applause. Yeah, and primitivism is then invoked. I know. Who'd have thought that you'd ever go to a Metallica gig mm. and have a, 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 a mini lecture on primitivism? It's kind of cool, though. Like, and I like, I'm a big into the futurists and Marinetti yeah. and I, I like GM Kabbalah and I like the art and, you know, I, that kind of motion. Yeah. And... I knew this would be right up your street. I knew, yeah, yeah. I, I was big... like, if I asked Tom what's his favourite <laughs> bit of this whole di- of this whole thing, I guarantee he's going <laughs> to pick these be, two actually. bits. Yeah. Well, it's just a bit like, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm a big art head. So, yeah, and they talk about this and they talk, obviously, there was a musical element to it and it was all about the power of the machine. And, you know, they have to sort of, again, like the horseman before, tie it into the tap. I know, They couldn't just be like, we're just going to play this piece because this is like a famous piece from 100 years ago that audiences love around the world. What does it have to do with Fresh Melt? um... There's a definite (laughs) sense of, uh, you know, the intros, uh, you know, to try and prep it and to try. And I mean, it's a bit, a little bit cringy. You know, you're like, well, you're a master of horses, master of puppets. Woo. But, you know, but I I like, I must say, I like Iron Foundry far more than I like the uh, Scythian Suite. I think that's fair. The band, including the band was a good touch on because I bet the crowd were getting restless by that point because they just had eight minutes of lecture and then, random notes of noise uh the build's great but overall i just think what it does for me is it highlights the monotony perhaps that can can be found in classical music you know it's the same motif mm. and the mm-hmm. build and the build and whereas in you know like metal or whatever or pop certainly you know it's sure. like a section a for like you know 40 right. seconds there's no bridge in classical music yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah exactly exactly so um but uh yeah i mean overall i see why they did it i think it's a missed opportunity to do some more metallica stuff but yeah it, it is uh by mozolov as well uh alexandre mozolov but but yeah i mean you know we have the split screen here and, and all that sort of stuff but i want to say up front with this song with this performance that you know i love that the band did this i have to say i'm really pleased that they were willing and i'm not, not surprising because they always are willing but to explore these foreign territories you know just as the orchestra that had themselves were doing back then you know yeah um you know and it's kind of a meditative uh, you know, atonal kind of piece mm-hmm. where the orchestra does most of the kind mm-hmm. of melodic work and mostly James and Kurt just sort of camp out on these gnarled sections yeah. and, you know... I don't know. It's 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 Lulu without without old Lou there. You know? Well, I mean, you make you make a. Re- Someone is on the read though. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there was somebody in the audience who was rambling in a sort of a incoherent manner. So yeah. he's probably there in spirit. <laughs> he um, probably haunts the chase centre. He does, yeah, you know, um, cutting off his tits and arms, you know, as he does. Um, yeah. 
Uh, I think uh, the the point you made there uh, was really interesting as well as about you know the this is the band coming into the world of the symphony and adapting to them mm. in as much as the here but certainly in the OG one as well it was about the symphony coming into the world of Metallica so there's a there is there is a nice symmetry there of you know these two um, uh, musical entities going into areas that they're not known for. So I think that that's a great point to make. Yeah, I think that's really good. So, yeah, we have Foundry there and, you know, kind of at the end, it gets a little more apocalyptic. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a bit more of a thrashier proposition. And um, Lars, you know, shakes one of the guy's bands, uh, hands from the orchestra and, you know, fellow, fellow sort of thing. And then it's, um, it's Unforgiven Time. Mm-hmm. So we're going back now to Death Magnetic to a recent song, uh, you know, and James, you know, guitarless here. Uh-huh. Quite vulnerable up there, he uh-huh. seemed. Never, never know. He, he, he uh, it's so adorable when you watch him because um, he did, it's the same with uh, when they did um, one at the 30th anniversary mm. shows. He never yeah. knows what, never knows what to do with no. his hands. And I just think, give him a, give him a hand mic. Don't use that sort of, you know, that Elvis fifties uh, flat mic. Have a hand mic because at least then you might have something to, or you know, a Freddie little Freddie Mercury half stand, you know. Um, I know what you're saying. But um, I, I love, um, love this idea. You know, just doing it the orchestra and voice. I, I did expect at some point when I saw this in the cinema, I, did, I was expecting the band to kick in at some mm-hmm. point um but they didn't just very brave like to be up there to be yeah. singing this song which lyrically is quite vulnerable to be physically vulnerable and exposed there's nothing there's no chunk there's no um lars um to cover anything it's you know he's there there's no crab walking there's no like... crab walk you know there's no wah um <laughs> it, it's great i mean the orchestra sounds fantastic like they really capture the essence of the song and the parts and it translates into their own medium as well james struggles vocally on the higher bits he sounds really ragged in parts which on the one hand adds a sense of humanness to him i Mm. guess but on the other hand it's sort of it's difficult for me to listen to because i'm like oh he sounds Oh, he really sounds like he's struggling, and that's really hard to hear because you don't want your your heroes or these icons to seem like they're struggling in the medium that even they are. even God bleeds, you know. Well, that's it. That's it. So I mean, maybe that hair. adds more humanity to the song. But uh, fantastic! Mm. This is my absolute. These next three things are my absolute favorite bit of this whole mm. uh, this whole show. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah, I know I do agree. And I really like that the band don't come in, yep. you know, the symphony leading here. And it's a nice traditional relinquishing of traditional, you know, reins for a new cover to go in guitarless and, you know, Jimmy with his belt buckle out, you know, <laughs> kind of strut in. And I love how there aren't any typical solos either. The orchestra sort of taking these leads, yep. as it were, and the song is very much deconstructed, um, you know, and they do a great job undeniably. And yeah, I think this is a really cool sort of flex here you know and they don't just 
okay, they don't necessarily play all the old hits that we really want to hear, like Leopard Messiah, etc., which I totally agree with, but it's like, at least they're willing to sort of, you know, just, I don't know, just be quite fearless here, really, yeah. you know, to James to be quite vulnerable up there. And we do see in certain other songs as well coming up where he doesn't, he has a guitar around him, but he doesn't need to play guitar. He often gesticulates with his hands, you know, and he doesn't have that kind of element. And it reminded me a little bit of my old... Uh, my old biology teacher at, at, at secondary school, Mr. Hughes, and he played guitar and sung, you know, and he jo- would join him with the band. And he had to get up on stage and sing like some hymn or something. But he was willing to do it, but he needed a guitar plugged in. Uh, and he like, it's like, if he doesn't have a guitar, he's not going out there, you know, yeah. he can't just stand there. So I, I, I get what does as well with the vocals yeah. on the album. You know, he's got a guitar around him, but he's not I... actually playing it, you know. Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah, Into All Within My Hands, which I did say up top, you know, I think I'm just a bitter St. Anger fan, uh, John, and I just wanted the true version. But um, I suppose I should be happy that this album has been reconsidered, both externally and internally, to the point where it's on S&M 2, a song from it. Um, Like, absolute curveball, I think, to put this mm. in there. Like, and I, I mean, I can only... Uh, I can only assume that A, they enjoy playing it, but also B, like it's a nod to, I think every single album is represented here. If we exclude Garage Inc., um, I think every yeah. album is represented here. So maybe it was a nod to that. I don't know. But I mean, I we covered um, the um, Bridge School Benefit. Bridge I think. School, yeah. Uh, when they did this in 20 whenever it was um i really like this song i i I like this version of the song i also love the album version as well i think doing it this way is um was a real risk a real great um sort of opportunity to um try something different and in fact after sort of re-listening to it this week a bunch of times part of me was like do you know what maybe this would have been a cool idea for S&M too is that instead of doing this big show, recording this big show, they could have done that. But what about like an S&M two or S&M three? I don't know, where they are acoustic in the studio, re re rewriting songs, re rearranging them, but with an orchestra or with mm. a string quartet. You know, like the, the 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 it worked really well. I think perhaps better than some of the you know heavy songs with the distorted guitar but it just sounds creepy and it's eerie and i know you're not a fan of this song so i'm doing all the positive lifting here um but i really i really do love it and also you know it gets uh, you know we get to bring an actual backing vocalist on stage in rv vinica so we don't have mm. to listen to rob bless him amazing bass player vocals not his strong suit so um you know it's nice to hear um, hear that as well. So I, I love this. Thought this track was great. I'll die if I let go. Love is control. way prefer the actual version i mean yeah. it's like this is like a little bit neutered like you know they had to sort of you know rewrite it slightly to make it more palatable to a general audience because it was you know from say anger like you know yeah. and it's just a bit i mean it's faithful in a way especially when the orchestra comes in and you sort of you know you recognize that wrenching riff you know but i feel like this you know, compared to like the downtuned guitars and gutter drums of St. Anger that yeah. just kind of really help the song fly, this acoustic, 
you know, slightly downtrodden version with a fucking Kirk solo in it. I mean, that isn't right. And I can't deal with that solo there. It's fine that Say Anger doesn't have so Like, it's actually fine. Do you like, think they that- could pull it off live, the studio version? I think so, yeah. That, but they'd drum have beats, to- that drum beat's pretty... I mean, it's not complex, but it's not, like, straight 4-4. Do you think Lars could do that without... I don't think Lars was the big impetus there, you know. It was the big, you know, obstacle there, really, in terms of the, you know, that coming through. I think maybe... James. They just they seem, they seem a little scared of say anger, like they respect it almost. They're like, yeah. what came out of us, you know, in those yeah. fucking in those San Fran I, I mean, hills? Thing, like, we, I don't want to go too in depth, but I think that I think you know definitely the Saint Anger stuff is in its prime on record. I don't think anything live from that album has ever matched the no. power of the studio that's version. True. And I think that's when they're thinking of songs to play live. I guess that's the thing. I mean, frantic kind of works live but mm. you know i think you lose a lot of the clarity because it's in drop c or whatever the fuck you know so i think yeah. you know but it, it it's fine it maybe when they do the saint anger box set they'll play the album in its entirety and then we'll get it live huh what do you think in like 25 <laughs> years say anger box set well the thing is though because of some kind of monster being recorded at the same time yeah there must be like untold jewels on that box set i mean like, that that's another conversation for another day but i mean the, the three box sets that i'm looking forward to most out of everything is load reload and saint anger because i think those are the ones where You've got the most diverse. Anyway, never mind. It doesn't matter. We no, won't talk about no. that now. That's cool. That's cool. Loving it. And with and with reload, like a special edition mini piss Christ, like hey, that would be yeah. fire. And just that for is... you, a, you know, like tab notation for each of the songs, so you can learn Jesus. them fully. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's how you do wasted my hay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knowledge. So James says that was all within my hands at the end. Congrats to the band. I mean, maybe they played it as well if I've got my cynical hat on, which I'm normally wearing, because it's the name of their foundation. So we're just like, let's just, you know. Maybe, yeah, maybe. It's called that, you know. And, you know, their foundation's incredible. Don't get me wrong. You know, and the band just continue to, you know, for as much as we've maybe been kind of, you know, a little bit down on SNM2 or whatnot, and, you know, it's hard not to be in comparison to the original, but, you know, it still is a pretty astounding piece of work. And there oh, are yeah. particular moments in it that just are you know, kind of high points in the legacy of Metallica, really, and stuff that will live forever. And I think getting Scott Pingle to cover Anesthesia, Pulling Teeth, to cover the legendary Cliff Burton instrumental from the first album um, is is such a a gesture. And it is pulled off with such a plum and it is such a absolutely glorious thing to behold. Well, interestingly, uh, I'm pretty sure this isn't Scott's interview with with Metal Up Your Podcast, mm. but um, he actually took that to the band. They weren't planning on doing that, right. so he he'd been working on it, and I'm I'm pretty sure he tells the story that he went to HQ, and it was like I don't know two or three days before, four days before, whatever, mm. and he just sort of gave them a run through, and they were they were like, yeah, this sounds great. I it's the it's the highlight of the album for me. It is so, so cool. And there's such a, um, there's such a, a a blend of like this 
you can tell that he's made it his own, but it's still, mm. even when it kicks in, he's still making it his own, but it's still recognizably Cliff's lines, Cliff's play. The fact that he gets his bass to sound like Cliff's bass with the distortion on yeah. is amazing. I mean, he goes into this whole thing about the work that he had done into the distortion pad, the, the unit that he used and things like that. It's just, it's cool as fuck. Like the whole thing is amazing. And it just, it gives me goosebumps and it, it brings a lump to my throat every time I hear it. Cause it's so mournful and so yearning and it's just, yeah. and what a, what a fucking testament to Cliff. Like mm. the writer of this song, which on the album, you know, and everything he did live, it was this full on in your face, gnarly teeth fanged like. Oh and then it can be stripped back to this beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Just absolutely the best thing that's come out of this album by a long shot. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we spoke before about certain crossover moments, yeah. you know, and. I mean, you know, from having these classical pieces, you know, played by fresh guys that we've just had. I mean, now we have a fresh piece yeah. you know, being played by a classical guy. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just, you, you're completely right. I mean, Scott Pingle, he, a very mild-mannered looking man. Yep. You know, like an early engineer on PayPal or something, you know. <laughs> but he's here to pay his respects and... And and yeah, you're so right. The personality that he imbues it with is is pretty undeniable. But when he kicks into the sort of actual song, you know, those mythical arpeggios yep. that begin it, and you can see Scott breathing hard and just lost in it, and his hands just sort of carved around the neck. I mean, this is a true recital piece. Fuck Glenn Gold or Mozart or whatnot. I mean, you know. And it's kind of like, you're right, it's kind of this synthesis of being note for note, but also kind of getting its own energy, because obviously it's, like, it's on a different instrument, you know, per yeah. se. But it's got the crown in absolute hysterics as yeah. it goes into the centrepiece. And again, you know, like so much on this record, it is so forward-thinking for them to do this, and then for Lars then to hop on the drums. Yeah. And for them to sort of, you know, crash out there, and you just see him, like, getting really high up the fretboard and, like, you know, playing like any monster player can, and, like, you know... I mean, what a moment, you know, yeah. to pull off and, and, and what a performance. Did you, were you, I mean, I, I obviously I had the benefit of knowing what was coming, but mm. I think I was slightly surprised at how long it seemed to take the audience to kind of oh. recognize what was coming. Like even without knowing the track listing, like, I, I can... Bro, if they ain't fixer, they don't know what it is. Well, the thing is that, that, I mean, you've just started playing. I mean, I've been, I've been a bass player, you know, since the 90s. Yeah. Like, so that's my instrument. So kind of maybe I was slightly attuned to uh, that note. So even though they're held out, the next note mm. after that, I can see, oh, that's the sequence of anesthesia. But yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just being a snarky, smug bitch. I don't know. I mean, but, uh... Yeah, yeah. You know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But, but so Scott, cool. It is. It, yeah, yeah. It's so like, cool. You know, it just can't. I mean, you can't, there's just nothing else you could do, really. Like, this is the ultimate. If, like, the idea, okay, how do we do a tribute to Cliff at this classical thing? Yeah. Well, there's no, I mean, what else can you say? It's yeah. this, it's someone playing anesthesia perfectly, yeah. interpreting their own way, and, you know, this piece that, I mean, what, what when is, when is Kill em All? Is it 83, 84? Yeah, 83. Yeah. So, so what is that now? Is that 40 years ago? So it is actually 40 years. Don't ask me so. maths questions. So, you know, that is, I mean, I wasn't that at the time, but it obviously it's, you know, it's an old instrumental. And again, yeah. you know, like, like we said many times on this show, it's incredible. And it shows 
how powerful Cliff was in the band, and rightly so as well, that it's in the middle of the record. Yeah. It's not at the end. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. just, you know, we'll sort of chuck this Oh, they were very, reason. they were very proud of their bass player. I mean, you know, what other band do you know? I mean, the balls on that band, I mean, obviously they're all 18, 19, but the first album, mm. and they're going to dedicate four minutes of it to a fucking bass solo. Yeah, you know, I yep. mean, they were incredibly proud, as rightly as they should be, and this um, th- this version simply carries on cementing the legacy. I think that that Cliff has, you know, that that he is such an integral part that they took time to include this that they weren't thinking of, but somebody brought to them, and they were like, yes, and they mm-hmm. they dedicated ten minutes to. Um, to the memory of the, you know, their fallen brother and their, and and all of that sort of stuff, and I think it's just, you know, it it gets me every time because he's now reached this point for me, of like, what he meant to the band, uh, and how he his loss affects them, translates into what I feel for the band, and almost like by proxy, like I'm guessed, like oh god, yes, it must have been so awful to be, you know, 24, 25. And to lose your brother like that, you know. So, anyway, just fantastic. I would put this on repeat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely the moment of the show. Um, I think that goes without saying. And it doesn't really involve the band at all. But yeah. it is probably my moment as well. And Scott gives a bow and, you know, kind of has a moment. And soaks it all in, rightfully so. And, he, you know, he, he absolutely knocked us out of the park. Yeah. I'm so happy for him. And he's embraced by Lars. And then we move into Rome. Yeah. So we are in sort of just classics. Te- you know what I mean? Like you know, balls out, sort of, here's the big boy, you know what I mean, that sort of, so we're in that sort of world here, get the plaintive string piece, as always, guided us in, you know, the conductor, the song has a very sort of tidal aspect to it, doesn't it, Rome, yeah. it sort of, you can slow down, speed up, and, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's like a sledgehammer, it's not like a sledgehammer, it's like a sledgehammer, you know, that kind of thing, okay. it just kind of moves, mm-hmm. Kirk's got his Ouija guitar and stuff like that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's a faithful rendition, I don't have too much to say on this, no. but I think that, you know, it, 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 it's Rome, isn't it? It's yeah. just like, it's one of the songs that they built the back of the band off yeah. of, like the modern era. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love Rome. I think the song the song itself is great. I've got very fond mm. memories of, you know, hearing that in, on the Black Album the first time and it being like mm. a linchpin song for me. But as you say, it's great. It's a great song. But I think what we're appreciating here is the song, not like the version of the song. Because again, it, not a patch on the 99 version for me. Uh, it's great. No. It's faithful. Um, but it, you know, we're entering the the home stretch of the gig. Um, so I think you know, it's it's um, again shame. Could have put something else in there. Maybe they they've just done even including the classical songs. You know, the, the second half of the show, the, the act two of the show, started off, and then you had these these great, um, really diverse um, songs and parts mm. that they trod. And then it's like right, and now we're now we're just gonna crack open Rome again. You're like okay. <laughs> I guess. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And, uh, you know, it's quite funny. One of the things that I noticed is there's a bit where Kirk's delivering his solo and he's right next to a gaggle of string players. And one of them, like, looks away from a sheet music at Kirk, like, you yeah. know, fiddling and whittling out and stuff. And you would, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. you know, the band never do stop either. You know, the energy that they show is pretty extraordinary. And, and yeah, you know, it's fine. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's what it is. And we go into one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I you know, We've heard before with one starting the gunfire, which yeah. is so effective, but they sort of replaced that here with something a bit wimpier, <laughs> sort of rat-a-tat sort of situation. Like. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it allowed Lars to come out from behind his drum kit and then go, you know, mess around in the snare drum section of the orchestra. I think that got, I don't 
it doesn't seem like it was planned because that drummer looked like you know when Lars is like put your stick there and then I'll hit it and this is a guy a professional musician you know who plays in one yeah. of the most and he's like okay I guess we'll go with this <laughs> so um it does there, there was an opportunity there I mean obviously they wouldn't have had pyro because I guess there must have been restrictions or whatever but yeah, yeah it's kind of kind of weird but I mean Lars got his bit to go out in and you know hang around in the orchestra itself I guess so yeah yeah, it's like, you know, again, this is a very sort of standard version. I think the version of S&M is an incredible version. Shit, it yes. was like, you know, one of my sort of favourite versions yeah. of the song. I think especially just the sort of rising orchestra swell into that opening oh, yeah. riff yeah. is just, yeah, just really, for some reason, always reminded me of like the opening of like early Tomb Raider EDOS games. Like it just had that sort of mournful, nostalgic quality. You know, visually, one of the things that I really do love about this concert is the odd juxtapositions where you see James, uh, you know, his back cocked, waiting for the song to go into a heavy section. And there's just a guy with a xylophone just next to yeah, him, just yeah. sort of chilling, like, you know. Yeah. And, uh, or the you know, bit during the, the, uh, the, the darkness, you know, the, uh, the machine yeah. gun bit, and he stood right in front of the tubular bells. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and James is, you know, crushing that riff, and then there's a dude in front of him with mallets just going ding dong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're like, there's so, such a weird balance there. But yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, um, and, and yeah, lots of hey, hey, hey stabs, you know, the chorus towards the end, along with the orchestra joining in there. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously we would have liked different songs here. We would have liked a bit more exploration, but. I think for, for you know for what it is, it's it, it's still not you know it's a great performance. Don't get me yeah. wrong, like, but I just feel like I, I don't know. It just it, it it has sort of been done before, really. But we do get some please God knows here, you know, not as good as the S M one though. Definitely not. No, definitely his, not. His, his think... vocal that that that's when you talk talk about the the S M one version being like a primo version. That that bit, you know, when he says when he's in the first one, where he says no, 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 and there's a real guttural edge to the scream just yeah. oof, you know but i mean it's fine as you say i mean i'd have, I'd have kept this i'm fine with one being in there i don't you know it, it, it's it's fine as clint would say what do you think of uh what do you think of master following um yeah i mean mm. the, the the problem i've got with these last um five songs is um again it's i get why they did it but i think that this is such a different show. It's an orchestra. It's not a traditional Metallica show. Therefore, I don't think you have to play the traditional Metallica songs. You could have not done Rome. I'd have kept one in because one's cool. But Rome, yeah. Puppets, and um, Nothing Else Matters, I'd have, I'd have dropped. I mean, you have to put Sandman in. And I I love you Sandman, do. you know. But so, I mean, Puppets for me, yeah, great. It doesn't have the ferocity of the original version um both the album and the snm version so it's kind of it's a bit chopped liver really it's like yeah great you know mm. yeah yeah i agree um you know it's fine yeah the sort of lights coming on bright you know to appreciate this bubbling cauldron of a room the song's 33 years old at this point mm-hmm. and it still does have a lot of vigor in it but yeah you're totally right like just just certain lines certain performances certain renditions do you agree with pitchfork pitchfork actually reviewed snm2 mm-hmm. and they said this 
Quote, then a guitar player like Kirk Hammer is shredding a multi-part solo. You don't want to hear a delicate, delicate counter melody in the second bassoons. Uh, Do you feel it kind of clashes? I feel like this it sort of does here a little bit. Yeah. It gets a little messy. Yeah, I don't think the uh, I don't think I I don't think the um, orchestration is um, as good here uh, as mm. as in the other sort of um, first start first album songs. I guess. Um, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's difficult to sum up anything either critical or positive in as much as that's like it's Master of Puppets. It's a fantastic song. It could be yeah, one yeah. Of the it's best still Master of Puppets. Metal yeah, songs exactly. of all time. It's a genre defining. Blah blah blah. blah you know all the platitudes. But I mean, ultimately, like, well, I've heard this before on its own, and I've heard this version with an orchestra. So, okay, they're older. I mean, the the, the fills might be a bit different. The guitar playing might be a bit tighter, a bit sloppier. The vocal, you know, but I mean, ultimately, it's still puppets, you know. Yeah. No, 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 of course. I mean, yeah. I think Jay Leno had a joke about that. He was like, pizza's like sex. Even bad pizza's good. Like, you know, so it's like even bad master of puppets. It's still better than most most bands. Still better than this isn't a bad master, but you know, this is not a bad master of it. It continues to sort of, you know, just 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 really kind of run riot and Rob's really leaving it all up there on the stage, which I like, and you know, the mood is high. So we move then into a uh, our penultimate track, which is nothing else matters. Kirk playing a little riff here um at the start. What is this? Is this like a reference to something or um oh I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I'll be honest with you. By this point in the album, I've usually like, yeah, it's 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 matters and and Sam. Yeah, I know like, what you mean. No, I completely know what you mean. This is this is like well trod territory. But yeah, I'm not sure what that is. But another thing I need to review, alongside obviously 72 seasons and the um the whole black album covers project, is portals. Did you hear about this? Oh, Kurt's yes. instrumental yeah, yeah. Uh, EP, which I did listen to at the time. It came out less than a year ago. I think it came out like April 2022. But um, I remember it was all right. It, yeah. You know, it was kind of a bit different different to like a sort of vibe paul gilbert sort of thing mm-hmm. it's not it's not um yeah it's not shredder guitar player of the year it's much more um well i mean i think i think 50 percent of it was written for his um monster toy collection exhibition oh, so like yeah. it was supposed to be the soundtrack as you're walking around and looking at I these see. boris karloff posters and things like that and then a couple of new tracks uh, i got yeah i have the I have the vinyl um i really like oh, it nice. it's great it's it's nice sort of um, it's music that I put on when I'm in work and I need something in the background, but not something to distract me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's faint praise, but praise nonetheless. So I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll be checking that, those songs out as well. So Kirk's playing this little riff at the start. It's just kind of, you know, if you ever played an instrument, you know, the sort of thing where you play the bottom E and you sort of riff on the top E sort of thing, you know, and he kind of accompanies himself here, uh, leads into Nothing Else Matters, which is a great version and kind of orchestra kind of light to me a little bit, despite there being quite a lot of orchestra on the actual song. Um, but, you know, the Jay Leno comparison persists. Uh, it's nothing else matters. Like, it really is 
a glorious song. Like, I'm sure this is quite a morbid thing, but I'm sure I read something. It was like, it's the most, like, the lyrics from Nothing Else Matters are, like, one of the most things said by, like, electric chair victims, like, as the as the light goes on, like, so. Um, wow. It's, it's a famous song for many different reasons. And... before with um, Halo on Fire and Fade to Black and sort of songs that end with big guitar solos Nothing Else Matters is one of the best examples of that anytime Papa Het goes loose around the uh, Papa Fret around the 12th or the 14th like that is just that is joyous except for uh, Torn well, yeah, that is. I don't mind his swells it's Kirk that I hate it's Kirk that I hate but that ending solo in Outlaw Torn is James Oh, well, now I don't know what to think. Yeah, now I am now, really... Now the outlaw is torn. I've dropped a little bomb into your wall. Oh, my now. God. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Kirk is... Uh, um, sorry, James. Mm-hmm. James is fantastic here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, who doesn't love this closing solo as well? Mm-hmm. Great version. Into Sandman, mm-hmm. which which is, is the end of the show here, um, John. Your thoughts on Sandman, please? Um, love it. Um, mm. um, maybe not... This version, I mean, I don't know. It's it's it, it's it's much the same muchness. You know, it's the same version as mm-hmm. uh, '99. Um, I've always been a fan of Sandman. I know there are people who say, "Oh, it's overplayed," and I could easily not hear it at a gig. I'd be really pissed off if I went to a gig and I didn't hear Enter Sandman, a Metallica gig, and didn't hear Enter Sandman. Yeah. It's the song. It's got a special place in my heart. There's um, some emotional stuff there when I bought the single with my mm-hmm. man, and you know, it's the first album yeah. that I was like a fully fledged fan for. So to me, it's it, I, you know, some people, oh, they sold on. out and it's a commercial. It's the perfect, I don't want to say pop metal, hard rock song, I think, that's ever been written. You know, it's it's right yeah. up there with, with Living on a Prayer as pop rock, you know. Amazing song. Love it, love it, I think, love it. Yeah, no, I completely agree as well. It is mad, isn't it, where, you know, they got to the Black Album, the fifth album. They were really going to blow big, you know, depending on the fortunes of this album. Yeah. And James and Lars went and wrote arguably one of the songs of the 90s like yeah. i maybe say smells like teen spirit is maybe more the song of the yeah. 90s but still yeah sandman of course yeah. undeniable just is that venn diagram bullseye like you yeah. say of pop metal is quite extraordinary really and it's one of those songs that like the, the first time you just hear the riff kicking you go crazy like yeah. you just know what's coming and it unlike if darkness had a son it also <laughs> builds quite a lot but <laughs> It has great riffs in it, yeah, so uh, yeah. so so yeah. But um, it's a masterclass really... of. I mean, you can see why. You know, they did those masterclass things a couple of years mm. ago, where you could pay a hundred dollars or whatever. And this is one of the songs, and you kind of, you know, the 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 snooty snobby um, people, myself included, like, oh, learn how to yep. play in the Sandman. Oh, that's not hard. But actually, what that what that song is is a masterclass in song structure, the dynamics of it, the build, the use of a bridge before the chorus i mean if you think about it you play an instrument you think about it there's not that many chords in that song i think there's like four you know but it's just a a perfect you know the the 
after the solo, the the climb back down into the main intro with the drums and the spoken word with Bob Rock's kid. Like it's just a masterclass in songwriting, and I. It never fails. I have yet to be, I mean, I've only been to five or six Metallica shows, but I have never seen any show where this song doesn't pop fucking huge. Because no matter what people say, and they go, oh, it's commercial, oh, it's boring, I've heard it. The moment those notes those notes hit in the darkness of the, the, the stadium, everyone's there. Everyone's mm-hmm. on board. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. classic, classic song. More so, I think, than like puppets or one. I think this is the Metallica song. Yeah, no, no, completely. Well, this and confusion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But Such no, absolutely. Fantastic bitch. <laughs> very well said. Very well said. And that 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 pretty much ends us. Uh, you know, there yep. isn't. There's kind of a nice send off with the credits, and you know, we see everyone thanking each other, and obviously it was a huge love in, and it wasn't extraordinary performance. But that does bring us to our closer. So just before we give our final thoughts, yep. I did reboot up again the Twitter at Metallica Pod. You can follow us over there uh, where I'll be, you know, I I like to ask what your thoughts are on certain songs and certain things. We'll read them out on the show and I asked everyone uh, what they thought about SNM 2. Nick McCoviak says, as far as the performances go, I like The Day That Never Comes and Halo on Fire along with Outlaw Torn. The show sounds a lot more live than the OG show which at times felt do produced. With that said, I feel that my preference is for the 99 show, a touch of nostalgia. So yeah, a lot of of good... uh, Good response there to the newer songs, also from Tommy saying, Hard to compare the songs that were played at the original SM. My opinion is the late 90s Metallica were at their peak live. Mm-hmm. The highlights of SM2 have to be the new songs. Mm-hmm. Day was great, Unforgiven Free was a nice touch. I have to say, Anesthesia with Scott P on bass was epic. When watching at the cinema, I think that and Outlaw Torn were the highlights. I have to admit, I do genuinely refer, revert, I do genuinely revert to listening to the original SM though. Glad they did this. Mm-hmm. Senior Olympio Gaming. Says SM2 is nowhere near as epic as the first. The barely audible orchestra is such a letdown. To me, it sounds just like a regular Metallica concert at times. If there's one thing I can say about it, it has a better version of Confusion than the studio one. I mean, is that fair? Is that a better version? Um, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to, yeah, just conjure both in your head straight away. But, um, but barely audible orchestra. Yeah. As well, that that is, I think that is definitely a facet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about the mix of the first one. I think the audience certainly were higher. What up. didn't they record it in orchestra hall though? Didn't they? Whereas this is like yes. the chase set. It's like the yes. basketball court underneath the fucking piano. Yeah, right? yeah. So the first one was at the Berkeley Community Theatre. Right, so that was right. the home of of the orchestra thing. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it it's a. Much the muchness, isn't it, really, for most of it, I guess. So the, the orchestra is quite quiet in certain parts to the way, unless you're watching it, you can say, oh, actually, yes, they are doing something there. But when you're listening to it, it maybe doesn't yeah. come across uh, as well. No, massively, massively. And it is just, yeah, it's just hard for me to get my head round. I think this is why I struggle with classical music. And again, John, you know, you play an instrument like myself, like a solo instrument, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like just to be imagined to be in like a 40 person band and you'll have to play exactly the same thing exactly the same time. And it's like, you know, it's, yeah, there's a kind of uh, lack of sovereignty there that I find a bit troubling. But Gerald Vaughan, Fawn said, Gerald Fawn says, Unforgiven Free, Anesthesia, Hardwired songs, hearing ecstasy live. The sound was a bit rough though, where we were seated. Ah. The mix on the record is not great. And I do want to say as well, I did forget to mention this in the main run, mm-hmm. but um, I had Todd on for an SM Night One recap. That was classic Alpha Metallica content 
back a few years ago. I think it was like the day or two after the concert. I didn't actually go back and listen to it. That probably would have been helpful. But go back and check out that episode as well if you want more SNM2 content. And finally, John Hahn says, Mr. Burns playing the little red keyboard killed it for me. <laughs> Not- <laughs> of course, he's referring to... Um, T- Tilson, Tilson Thomas. Thomas right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Lars being a gigantic ham during the intro to One still rankles. I saw it in the cinema and I watched it at home once since 99 is far superior to 19. And I think that is the, uh, that is the very general consensus. Yeah. I mean, there's also other things to consider, you know, I mean, it's, it's 99 was a long time ago. We've all had 20 plus years to get into it. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, you know, for some people as well, it's their, their version of the band um with the you know with jason and things like that so uh, it is it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm glad they did it i think it's admirable and I'm, I'm glad they threw in some new tunes i think it's a missed opportunity where they could have done something completely you know start with ecstasy and cthulhu end with uh, nothing else matters and sandman but everything else in the middle brand new i think that would have been far more exciting um yeah. uh, maybe do more of the classical stuff you know maybe blend that in a bit a bit more instead of saying like here's a chunk and now we're going to go back to the band you know yeah yeah no it is interesting that they compartmentalize that but i guess that just must be helpful just for momentum i don't know but yeah. but yeah i agree i think will we see an snm3 do you reckon <sighs> i doubt it I mean, yeah. th- there's lots of, um, you know, discussion over in v- various fan forums and discords and things about, like, is this the last album? Because, you know, they're all getting up there and the tour, if you look at the tour, it's two nights in stadiums and they're, they're setting it like two years in advance. So, I mean, I don't know. I think if they're going to do something like that again, I think my preference would be take it into the studio. Don't do not do a gig. Mm. We, don't, we don't need to have a gig. If you want to do something with an orchestra, have somebody... Um, you know, re rewrite songs like they did with Unforgiven Three or Transpose or find where you know and and don't go with just the hits. Um, maybe go something deeper. Maybe rework some things acoustically as well as electrically. I think there is that would be exciting to me rather than just like two nights at a, a Normo Dome in Middle mm-hmm. America. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that is coming, right? Yeah. Those giant, yeah, double set, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is. Uh... That that is cool, but yeah, but yeah, that is that is S and M two as well. This has been great going through all the tunes and all the history, and uh, as I say, great to uh, you know loosen up and knock some of the rust off. And again, if you guys want to come on, we're pretty much going to do all the seventy two. I've got it all booked the seventy two seasons episodes. But if you want to come on and discuss something from um, Metallica's Black Box, uh, the Black Album cover, get in touch with me metallicapod@gmail.com. dot uh, com. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at metallicapod. And Patreon is there as well if you want to go support and get access to stuff before it drops on the main feed. John, what about yourself? Uh, you, Kiss podcast, I seem to remember we spoke about before. Oh, yeah, that's a while ago. They they, they, they did the entirety of the Kiss catalogue, or whatever many episodes it was, 300 and some odd. Uh, so they're done. They're off doing their own thing now. So um, mm. I'm just, just tootling around just being me. Nothing really right. to plug. <laughs> all right well this has been great and again i want to urge people to go back through the archives and check out all the episodes especially the episodes that me and john have done in the past as well uh you know on carpo dm baby and on um we had lulu tune right uh yeah i just looked at we did um we did carpe diem um we yep. did dragon we also dra- i mean you know we did we did uh bridge school 97 2007 2016 yeah um and we also did the playboy interview the playboy interview yeah. what even is oh yeah you remember that's that one like the, 
It was like Load Era, Lars, and no, it was like they all got. Is it like after Jason left? Um, so right? it, it was uh, it was the tail end of the nineties. I think it came yes, out. That's right. Just before. I, I don't think he'd announced there, but it was the one where you know it was uh, talking about crabs and that sort of thing, and yeah. you know James being a. Um, closeted homosexual and redneck. Right. Oh, and they go to like the hunting lodge with him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can. I forgot all about that. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, that was a good. Oh, one. Wow. Wow. Okay. So yeah, go back there, check them out, and uh, again, get in touch with metallicapodgmail.com. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Really, we'll be back in the future. Oh, another episode that I need to do as well. I'm just reminding myself of is uh, reclaimed rust. I'm actually mm. going to buy Hetfield's book. Where he opens up his garage, you know, to tour his incredible collection of customized classic cars. And to be honest with you, I am not a car head in no. the slice. I do drive, but I just don't really have an interest in cars. But I do have a major interest in James Hetfield, and I love coffee table books. And this is a obscure as fuck like James Hetfield car book. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be all over this. And you know, I've got a few Metallica hardcover coffee table books as well, including uh, Matt Ford's um, oh, what's it called, the Master of Puppets one, uh, which is absolutely brilliant as well. Yes. the whole story of Metallica sort of early you know just like pre-superstardom kind of era so um yeah John anyway this has been a really really fun chat mate this has been great so uh thanks again for coming on take care Tom